there's more to this life than I thought. And James inspires me. The things he says have encouraged me. It's like there's a walk, there's a path, and it's leading to something more real than I've ever known before, and it's exciting. I get around James and I hear things that help me in my life, my work. This work he talks about has become my work. I am excited about the possibility that other people could be affected, other people could be inspired to work on themselves, to grow, to, to realize there's more to this life. When you get nothing from certain things that I say, except resentment, the problem isn't what I'm saying. If you're getting upset, if you're getting resistant, if you're resenting or feeling hurt by things that I'm saying, or perplexed, or not understanding, the problem isn't what I'm saying. This is a very difficult thing for us to deal with because it hits hard at our self-love, our self-conceit, our illusion, and our self-justification, who we think we are. And who we think we are, this image that we have of ourselves, is the false part of us. And when something starts to hit at that, we feel resentment, we feel hurt, we feel anger, we feel a lot of things. Resentment is a characteristic of unconsciousness. It's not a characteristic of consciousness. Conscious people, aware people, don't resent. How could they? Someone says something to them that's unkind or unpleasant. Why would they possibly resent someone else being ill? It's like going to a hospital. I used to go to the hospital with a friend, and we'd take our guitars, and we would go and visit people and play songs for them and sing and play the guitars and just go around and do that from room to room or to the children's wards and do that. There were a lot of sick people in the hospital, but I didn't take that personally. I didn't resent it because they were sick. There were people who were so sick, they were so sick, they didn't want to hear any music. I didn't resent that because I was conscious of the fact that they were ill. And so a conscious person, when someone is saying unpleasant things, manifesting negative energy, a conscious person doesn't get resentful. So when you're getting resentful or hurt or indignant, it's not because you're conscious. And it's not because the other person is an idiot. Your unconsciousness is the problem. Unconsciousness really indicates that you don't see something about yourself. You can't see what I'm talking about. Usually people get resentful if I say something that offends them. They don't usually get resentful if I say something that offends their husband or their wife or their children or someone else. They usually agree. They nod their head. Boy, that's right. <laughs> He's telling them now. I hope this guy's listening. They don't get resentful about that. They only get resentful when it touches them. And it's because they don't yet see about what I'm speaking in themselves. It's also safely guarded by pride and vanity. We don't see the things about ourselves because they have pride and vanity standing guard over those things. And they won't allow us to see them. When someone suggests the truth about us, we generally feel hurt and surprised. But I thought you liked me. But I thought you were my friend. Has that ever occurred to you when somebody says something to you? But, but I thought you were my friend. I thought you liked me. We react in a dramatic, negative way. But we don't see how tragic we are. We really don't. We don't see what tragic characters we are playing, the roles that we play, how tragic they are, how long-suffering we are, what martyrs we can be, how we can keep a stiff upper lip in the face of life's slings and arrows, how we struggle under the burden of what it's like to be us. Boo-hoo. We each must face the tragically suffering person that we have invented ourselves to be. But we don't. We think, but, but I didn't invent this. I, I, I didn't do this. I'm this way. I'm that way. That's what makes you a tragic figure, is that you think you are some way other than the way you are. Some folks live a tragic life in their 50s, 60s, and beyond due to some events from their childhood. Letting go is almost too much to consider because of the drama of the pain. 
Recently, I've been corresponding with a person who had a particularly unpleasant childhood. She's in her late 50s, nearing 60, and she has still got this hard spot, this resentment, this knot in the middle of her about her mother, and she can't discuss it. She can't discuss it. She can't talk about it. She refuses to do anything except push it away. This is no longer part of my life. I've handled this. I'm not going to let her run my life anymore. I'm not going to let her hurt me anymore, yada, yada, yada. We all sit here and we say, yeah, right. Who's running your life? Your mother is running your life. She's making you do everything that you do. But it, it's funny because we can see it, but the person in the middle of it can't see it. Isn't that always the way it is? We see it just fine, but the person in it can't see it. Dr. Nicole said, to make a thing fully conscious to oneself is to overcome it. It is only the semi-conscious or not conscious that has power. The not yet quite seen, the not yet really acknowledged, that is what cripples us. That is what burdens us. That is what gets us every time. The not quite yet seen, not yet really acknowledged. Oh, we may nod to it and say, yes, well, I understand that all people are negative. Yes, everybody's negative. Well, everybody has problems. Well, everyone has this and everyone has that. That's not yet really acknowledged in ourselves. You see, we're, we're spreading it around. Everyone's like that. It's not yet quite seen in us. We can see that we have it, but we can see that other people have it too, and that's our self-justification. That's where we hide in it. This work will try to rout you out. It will try to drag you into the light. And if you don't let go of this work, it will drag you into the light because this work seeks light. It is attracted to light. So it's going to the light. And it's like being caught in a great fishing net. If you can't get out of the net, you're going to be dragged out of the sea. And if you get dragged out of the sea, you're going to die. It was no joke, you know, Jesus saying to his disciples, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. Because that's exactly what happens. You get caught in this net, this work, and it will drag you into the light. And we don't want to get into the light because we can't hide in the light. We can't lie in the light. We can't have all of the things that we secretly want to have in the light. We can't have our secrets in the light. We can't keep our dark side in the light. We can't keep our shadow side in the light. We can't keep our lies about ourselves and others in the light. When we refuse to discuss, admit, look at something, it's not a sign of flexibility and intelligence. This person that I was talking about that I've been corresponding with, I'll give her credit. I said, okay, I backed off. I said, well, fine, we, we won't talk about that. I understand. And I just said, well, there is only one thing I do have to say, and that is uh, you're a lot like your mother. And so she decided that it was time to take a walk and <laughs> not, not really talk to me anymore. So she did and, and uh, listened to a podcast, a couple of podcasts. And, and she listened to the right one, obviously, one that somehow clicked right where I had touched. And, and she began to see something. She said, you know, it's like when I was a child and I'd have a splinter in my finger. You know what it takes to get the splinter out. And so you leave the splinter in. But then the splinter starts to fester and infect it and it hurts more and more and more. And it's not just the area now, it's the whole finger and it's getting worse and worse. And so you finally bite the bullet and you go to have the splinter taken out and you suffer through it even though you hate it and it's everything you can do to stand still for it. And she said, I'm at that point. And I've got to give somebody credit for that. Someone who's willing to come to that is someone who is genuine and serious, sincere. I'll do anything for a person like that. The people who want to run the other way, the people who, no, 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 I don't want the splinter taken out. Fine, then you don't need to be here. This is the emergency room of life. All of the well people are already out there being president, being senators, being rich, being famous. All of the well people are already doing all of that. They're all out there spreading their disease of wellness. But that wellness is a wellness that I don't want. The sickness that I have 
is a sickness unto death. Because this false personality has got to die so that something else can be born, so that something else can live, so that the new man can come forth. That's what I'm interested in. I'm not interested in the well people that are in life. Jesus talked about those well people. He said, let the dead bury the dead. Gurdjieff talked about the dead people. He said that those are the people who are running the government. Those are the people who are running the world. The dead people are running the world. So it's a different perspective. There's a reason for our inability to let go and move beyond certain tragic, dramatic, negative episodes that we've had in our lives. There are states of sleep possible to us that we can't even admit to ourselves we have any self-pity or vanity. In other words, we can be so asleep that we cannot even see or admit to ourselves that we could have self-pity or vanity. How asleep are you right now? How much of your self-pity and vanity can you see right now? Can you see examples of it in your life? Great. Then you're a little bit awake to that. But there are states of sleep that we get into, we can't even admit it. No, I'm not vain. I don't pity myself. I mean, I think I just had an episode with someone else about that. I don't do it. I don't do that. I'm just the opposite. Okay. The solution to the problem, if we wish to develop. If you don't wish to develop, there's no problem. If you don't wish to develop, if you'd like to go on being well, if you'd like to go on in life, just being a person in life, just doing what life makes you do, then you're well. There's no, you don't need a doctor. You don't need anything. It's only the sick who need a doctor. And the doctor is this work. The doctor is esoteric teachings. The doctor is light. The doctor is this wisdom that has been passed down from people who were healed of their disease, even when they felt like they didn't have a disease. One of the things about this problem that we have is we don't know we have it. You don't know you're sick, you can't get well. It's only the people who know they're sick, who begin to realize that they're sick, that there's something wrong. Those people will seek out a physician. Those people will seek out healing. Those people will seek wellness. But the people who think they're well, they won't. So if you think you're sick, you're better off than the people who think they're well. The Holy Trinity is the three forces needed to manifest anything in our universe. The active, passive, and neutralizing forces. I told you there's a solution to this problem that we have. And it's only a problem if we wish to develop. This problem of living this tragic life, this negative life, this dramatic life as martyrs, as long-suffering, as tragic figures who, if only, and why didn't it happen, and, and, and this isn't right, and that isn't right, and oh, if only. One manifestation cannot take place without the union of these three forces. In Christianity, this mystery of the Trinity, the Holy Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three that are one. And the big mystery is, it's code for these three things exist in every one thing. So in every manifestation, no matter what it is, any manifestation in our universe that takes place, it took place because three forces came together and connected to make it possible for this one thing to happen. And we don't see that. It's a mystery to us. It's a mystery to us because we're unaware of it, as we are unaware of just about everything. This is the three in one of the Holy Trinity. Three forces meeting at one point produces the manifestation. Every manifestation is complex. It's not one thing, but three things in a certain balance. Of all of the things that could happen, why is it that so few actually do happen? Think of the things that could happen. O.J. Simpson could walk through the door right now. Abraham Lincoln could ra be raised from the dead. Uh, John Brown's body could be found. They could find Jimmy Hoffa. Now think of all the things that could happen. It could rain right now. Uh, a meteor could come through the roof right now. Think of all of the things that could happen. But look at only the few things that actually do happen. It's because the three forces 
have not connected and come together. In order for Jimmy Hoffa to be found, his body to be found, three forces would have to connect in the right way, in the proper balance, at the right time. In order for a meteor to fall through the roof, three forces would have to come together in the proper balance and connect at the right time. This is the way it is. Not one manifestation, no matter how tiny it is, cannot take place without the union of these three forces. Now, let's talk about it in a practical way because we've talked about it intellectually enough. When you want something, when you want something, anybody ever want anything? Yeah, when you want something, that is active force. That's the first force, active force. When you want something, that's active force. But isn't it interesting that simply wanting something won't lead you to having it? Why is that? Well, because it takes more than just one thing to have a manifestation. So it takes more than just wanting something to have a manifestation. Why is that? Well, because when you want something, immediately second force comes up. See, now the problem is, is many people give up life at this point. Their mantra becomes, if only. So they want a college education, but their parents didn't have the money to pay for it, so they didn't get it. They want a college education, but their parents got divorced and they had to go to work, and so they didn't get it. And then they become heartsick and they give up on life. And it's like, oh, if only, if only my parents had stayed married. If only my parents had earned enough money and had a college fund. If only they had cared about education. If only this, if only that. Then I could have been a doctor. Then I could have been a lawyer. Then I could have been an Indian chief or whatever. They become negative and then they become tragic. Well, I would have been this if only that had happened. Well, I could have done that if only that had happened. They wanted something but they didn't get it. And so they lead tragic, negative lives. If you want something, calculate the existence of second force. Second forces in this triad is called passive force. It's the resistance to what you innocently want and expect to be given. See, in life, we innocently want things. Innocently wanting them means we don't calculate second force. We innocently want everyone to like us, but we don't calculate second force. Do you see how innocent, how naive it is to want everyone to like you? Yes, well, I want everyone to like me. I want everyone to think I'm wonderful. Can you see how naive and innocent that is? Because we're not calculating second force. What is second force? Well, in this case, it's other people. Second force is other people. Well, not everybody's going to like you. Well, why not? Well, some people just don't like people. So there's that. It has nothing to do with who you are. The fact that you walk around, that you're a human being, that in and of itself is enough for them not to like you. Well, that's just not fair. Well, that's just not right. If you feel your lower lip begin to quiver, oh, not everybody's going to like me. I'm not going to get what I want. Because we didn't calculate second force, the passive force, the resistance to what we innocently want and expect to be given. And we do expect to be given what we want. Now, some people lie to themselves so thoroughly, they think, oh, I don't. I, I expect to have to work for everything that I get. No, you don't. And that's all I'll say. You will either verify that by looking and seeing yourself, or you will not. If you don't, that's your business. Then stay the way you are. If you want to change, take the hint that I gave you and apply it. If you want to develop, take the hint that I gave you and apply it to your own life through serious, sincere objective, non-critical self-observation. Second force meets everything you want at every turn, at every point in life. The work says if you make an aim, calculate second force, which will instantly oppose what you want. But we don't. We forget all about second force. We, we're second force blind. We forget all about it. We just think, oh, I want that. And our eye is on the prize. And we don't see all of the things that are in the way. Right now, if I don't want to get to the door, you're all just fine people sitting here, listening and 
participating in whatever way you're participating. But if all of a sudden there's a fire and I need to get to the door, you are now obstacles. You are now resisting obstacles that are in my way to get to the door. Now I've got to find a way around you. Do you see that when I want something, everything changes and I've got to calculate that change. This is why it's a good idea not to want too much. We live in this fantasy where the second force is quite weak. It's why no fantasies are quite satisfactory to us. Have you ever noticed that none of your fantasies are quite satisfactory? You're always trying to get them to happen out there in the world. Because second force exists even in fantasies in different ways. It's there, though. It's everywhere. But we like fantasy better than life because second force is weaker there. But to make fantasy equal to the reality of life takes time and effort. And that's where a lot of people stop. Time and effort? Well, I've got the time, but I'm not going to make the effort. Or, well, I'd make the effort, but I don't have the time. If you want something, you will inevitably meet that which opposes what you want. And you'll either contend with it or you won't. Let's say we want everyone to accept esoteric truth so that they share our idea of life and think basically the same way we think. Let's say that's what we want. A lot of people want that. A lot of people want everybody to be Republicans. A lot of people want everybody to be Democrats. A lot of people want everybody to be Libertarians. A lot of people want everybody to be Independents. A lot of people want everybody to think for themselves, which means think the way I think. A lot of people want everybody to come to their own understanding, which means I want you to come to my understanding what it really means. They lie about it. That's what it really means. This becomes the first force, the active force. This is what we want. We move forward and we meet indifference, derision, criticism, contempt, apathy. So we meet all of this and we, uh, we become disappointed. We, come, we become tragic, full of self-pity because we didn't calculate second force. What is the second force here? People. People are not interested. People don't believe us. They're satisfied with what they already have. Other people are second force in this example. Other people's indifference, other people's satisfaction, self-satisfaction, other people's illusion, other people's, I don't want that, I already have something that's better than that, whatever. So we meet with the resistance of second force. We fail, we become tragic, we become misunderstood, long-suffering people. Boo-hoo. Poor us. We offered them the world and they didn't want it. People call second force the devil, but it's the holy trinity at work. Active, passive, and neutralizing forces. It is the way it works. Holy means whole. For any one thing to happen, the whole force of the trinity must come together. The active, the passive, and the neutralizing. The relationship between the first and the second force is established by nature and the quality of the third force. So here we have, I want, and then we have the passive force, the resistant force that opposes what we want. Now, how those two are connected will be dependent upon the neutralizing force, the third force. This makes sense. The third force brings the first and the second forces into connection. Connecting force is what it's called by some people. So first force, active force, second force, resistant force, third force, connecting force. It connects the first and the second. But you think, well, how, what, what? How, can you, how can you say that? The first is connected to the second just by the fact that it is the first. No, that's not connected. It's just opposing. It doesn't mean it's connected. You see, some people have opposing forces in their lives, but they never connect what they want with what is stopping them from getting it. They just get tragic instead. Do you see that? A bad connecting force will relate me badly to the second force. All that opposes what I want, then I'm undone, I'm overcome. If I'm related badly to everything that opposes me, 
How can I possibly get what I want? I have to be related properly to what opposes me. When what you want has a bad or wrong connecting force, the second force then becomes the active force, and it reverses the triad. Can you see this? Can you see that you want something, and then something opposes it? But the something that opposes it now becomes the mountain instead of the molehill, and it now becomes active force, and you become the opposing force. You're now opposing it. The triad's reversed because you've got a bad connecting third force. Now, we've talked about this before, but in a different way. The way we talked about it before was the neutralizing force is either life or this work. If the neutralizing force is life, you're undone, you're overcome. If the neutralizing force is this work, then life becomes your teacher, because life is what opposes you. Life then becomes your teacher when you have the work as your connecting force. And if life isn't your teacher, you're in trouble. When what you want has a bad or wrong connecting force, second force becomes active force, reversing the triad. Active and passive forces reverse their roles. Instead of using second force through right, clever connecting force to practically work out what we want, second force reverses the roles and is triumphant. Let's say you have a problem, a math problem. Now, you want the answer, but you find that you don't know the answer. So if you're not properly connected to second force, then you don't know the answer. But if you are properly connected to second force, through third force, you really want the answer and you start to work the problem out. You start to work the math problem out one step at a time. If you have to count on your fingers, if you have to put little marks on a piece of paper with a pencil and then count them, it doesn't matter. If you're properly connected, you will work out the problem. Do you see that? People want what is possible only in fantasy. I want to be able to fly a jet plane. Well, that's great. Are you willing to do what it takes to be able to fly a jet plane? Well, no. Do you have the time left in your life? No. Do you have the opportunity to do that? No. Then it's a fantasy, isn't it? We all want the lives of the rich and famous. If we didn't, it wouldn't be such a popular television program. Why is it that people enjoy looking at other people's mansions and Ferraris and solid silver Audis? Why is it that people enjoy looking at an indoor, uh, what do they call those things, snow slopes in a desert, in the middle of a desert? Why is it that people enjoy that kind of wasteful opulence? I'll tell you why. Because in fantasy, that's what they want. Because in fantasy, they can have it. If you make many requirements, you'll be up against life all the time. You see, people with a lot of requirements have a hard time in life because they're up against life all the time because it's their opposing force. Life becomes their opposing force. And because they have a lot of requirements, they're not properly connected to the second force, opposing force. They're not properly connected to life. So in this work, we say, don't have many requirements. Buddha said it another way. Living lightly with few duties. Don't have a lot of requirements. Only eat two meals a day, he said. Don't eat afternoon. We think that's unheard of. That's ridiculous. We have a requirement. We have to have three squares a day and a couple of snacks and dessert. And look at you. Look at you. Look at you and tell me, it's oh, it's all a lie. I have a thyroid problem. Yeah. <laughs> if second force isn't our teacher, we won't learn anything. We'll never gain by experience because we haven't made the effort to deal cleverly with second force. How do you learn how to do addition, subtraction, multiplication, and division? By doing it. That's how you do it. You do it. You learn how to cleverly deal with second force, that which opposes you. You learn how to cleverly deal with it. Through the experience, you learn over and over again. You finally learn. Seven times seven is 49. It is, right? Just kidding. Of course I know it is. The reason I know my sevens time 
seven times tables, better than any, is because I was in sixth grade, I think, and I was asked something about seven times something. And I didn't know the answer, and I was totally humiliated in front of the whole classroom. I was standing up at the board, and uh, the teacher was one of those brilliant teachers who found it necessary to humiliate you for not knowing the answer. The bad thing that came out of that is I had a hard time with teachers for the rest of my life in school. The good thing that came out of it is I learned my seven times table. And uh, the bad certainly outweighed the good, I can tell you that. But so I know my seven times table because I studied them, I drilled them, I drilled them, I drilled them because I was determined to learn from that experience. So I dealt with this deposing force cleverly, intelligently, and I gained experience. If you made the effort to deal cleverly with second force, you get your experience you are rightly connected to second force through third force, and you move forward. Without second force, people say, well, why should we have second force? Well, why is that necessary? Without second force, we can't develop. Without second force, nothing would stop. There'd be nothing to oppose anything. Nothing would stop. Once something was set in the motion, it would keep on going. That wouldn't be so good, would it? It's part of the Holy Trinity. Hold second force as holy, and it will teach you what to want what to want. You see, we don't even know what to want. We are so ignorant. We are so in the dark, we can't even see what we should want yet. So the work is here to tell us until we can see for ourselves what we should want, what will be best for us, what the right step is for us. We have the work to fill in and tell us and guide us and lead us. The work meaning esoteric truth, esoteric teachings, those who have gone on before, those who woke up, those who became enlightened, those who walked the path, and then left maps and instructions for other people so that they too could walk the path. So hold second force is holy. It will teach you what to want, and it will help you to get it. Gurdjieff said, patience is the mother of will. Nicole said, will passing through patience as third force attains what it wants. To will blindly is stupid and turns the triad against us, leaving us negative. To will blindly is stupid. To want blindly is stupid. To want everything that you see is stupid. To want things that are beyond your time and effort, your force, is stupid. It's better to want something that you can work for and get than it is to live a tragic, dramatic, negative, martyr life of if only. The choice is yours. Often the practical application of these ideas sounds like it's going to be easy. The ideas sound great. When we actually run into a situation or a person who's being a little more difficult than we'd like, we find it's not as easy as we thought it was going to be. If you've hit a snag with some aspect of this work and its practical application in your everyday life, I invite you to write James at SolidRockVista.com. Sometimes a fresh perspective is all it takes to get us back on the right track.